Hello and welcome to the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson, I'm the founder of Stack and I'm recording this from my hotel room in Munich because I'm over here at the moment for the Edge Editorial Design Conference. We kicked things off yesterday with me interviewing Andrew Diprose, Group Creative Director of Wired in the UK. And for that conversation, we focused on Andrew's work right now across the whole Wired brand. And he had some really interesting stuff to say about the position of the print magazine and its relationship to the website, the videos, events and everything else he gets involved with these days. That conversation was recorded, so watch the Edge Foundation YouTube channel for that coming up in the next few days. That's EDCH Foundation on YouTube. But I'm also totally fascinated, not just by the work he's doing now, but by his whole career, which has seen him working his way through iconic magazine titles like ID, Smash Hits and GQ, as well as his own independent magazine, The Ride Journal. So once we were off stage, we found some beanbags in a not very quiet corner and continued the conversation. As you'll hear, this is a record of a magazine publishing world that really just doesn't exist anymore. But he still has the same commitment to excellence, credibility and production values that make his work stand out from the crowd. I really love talking to him. So I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with Andrew Diprose from Wired. All right, nice one. Andrew, thank you very much for coming and squatting on some beanbags with me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, it was a, a, a lovely talk that you gave today about what's going on at Wired at the moment. Um, but for this, I want to look back a little bit at where this all came from. So here you are now as Group Creative Director at Wired. How do you actually begin on that journey? How do you get into doing all this? Well, um, I had a a relationship with magazines that probably you know around the time I was doing my A-levels maybe what was that like 16 17 um, I would go to I was I guess I was like a geeky kid basically if I wasn't in the art room um, I was in the library you know reading and reading magazines um, you know when you're that kind of age you don't have a ton of money sloshing around so going to a library at that time was a way that you could you know get to know all of these different sort of magazine brands without shelling out I wasn't you know I wasn't playing rugby on the um, playing fields or whatever so um, I, I spent time in the library so instead of playing rugby you sat and read your magazines yeah instead of like chasing girls I was like sitting around like reading Sky magazine which was my favourite at the time you know and, and maybe ID and Face but um, I think the accessibility of Sky at that slightly younger younger age really drew me in and I suddenly started thinking this is something that I really love you know fast forward a couple of more years and I was um you know I, I did a foundation in art at Winchester and um and then I went on to to Southampton to study on a new graphic design course and um I was I was already like crazy about magazines by that time especially the face magazine you know kind of evangelical you know I'd I'll tell some of my fellow provincial friends about, so, where, so you know, whereabouts is this? Uh, they, I, I, this this was da- this was down in Southampton I grew up um, on you know just off of the south coast of England um, a place called Rowlands Castle but I would I would sort of extol the vo- virtues of you know the style press in you know a way of knowing what was really going on in fashion and you know photography and 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 film and and uh, already I think I was a kind of a magazine a magazine fan so when Scott King, who was the art director then of um, ID Magazine, came to give a talk at my college. 
uh, I was kind of over the moon and a bit starstruck because I loved ID magazine and, and you know, London held like such a, an, an appeal. And at that time, you know, they you didn't have the internet to, to, you know, kind of share culture or share music or whatever. So really you sort stuff out, you know, in a kind of like a tribal way. And at that time I was a raver. Like I was a proud raver, <laughs> and um, and you know I wore the clothes, I listened to the music, I went to the record shops to, to 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 buy the music when it was you know when 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 the white labels were pressed and out there, and and it was a completely different time. So that you know for 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 for, for me for at that time for magazines that was the way, the only way that you were going to find out what was going on in clubbing or in fashion or whatever. So um, yeah, Scott Scott pitched up at my. Um, university and uh, and I'd, you know we had a, other visiting lecturers or whatever but he was he was the one afterwards I sidled up to and said do you think I could you know intern with you at ID and kind of hung around like an embarrassing sort of like teenager till he sort of said oh come up to London and, and join us and that's what I did a few months later and um, commuted up with my with my black market record bag slung over my shoulder and um and yeah it turned up at id magazine while it was still you know pre macintosh in those days so it's cutting and pasting photo transfer machines sizing up you know for 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 reproduction and cutting type and really old school stuff you know we had a couple of macs at my college you know and i was already learning to use page maker like who the fuck uses PageMaker? Like, uh, so and then, what year is this? When are we talking about? This is 1994. Right. So we started to use Quark Express, Photoshop, you know, some of that kind of stuff. But you know, going straight doing doing um, work experience, I was like, I was like straight in the thick of it. And I loved ID, and it was proper cut and paste. And Scott really had a, and still continues to have that artist's eye on things. So it was simple, confrontational, like headlines and images that really suited that kind of cut and paste way of working too. And now, obviously, he does his own artwork. Um, yeah, he was very cool, and it was like, it was my that was my sort of introduction to the world of magazines. And so, did you end up actually working at ID then? No, I was. <laughs> I went completely the other way. I left. I was up. I was. I was at ID for a little while, but I was, you know, commuting up from Southampton, and it wasn't really sustainable financially. Um, and they'd take me out to lunch and like buy me pints because they could see I was like a poor student. But 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 I I went and finished my final project, and um, and then I came back up to London to seek work and ended up getting a job as junior designer at Smash Hits magazine. Right, so the, the raver came the, out. Yeah, it was so ridiculous. Like, like, you know, I'd, I'd spent this time at this very cool street fashion magazine and I was really like into rave and hardcore hip hop and, and I ended up going to Smash Hits and, you know, second day there we went to see Take That and Lulu doing <laughs> Relight My Fire tour. Um, and my brother and some of my mates were just laughing at me that I'd ended up in this in mm. this pop music environment, you know. And Smash Hits magazine in, in those days was massive, you know. You'd you'd have you know it was it was um, fortnightly, and you'd have million selling months and stuff, you know. It was like it was a big magazine, and um, and so yeah, I found myself in this kind of pop paradise with these brilliant people and it was just really like an extended you know being at college like you know experimentation fun standing on the desks messing around going out at night everybody together 
everybody was crazy about music and it was just like such a fun introduction to, to a work environment. And so, so Smash Hits was EMAP, right? Yes, it was. Right, okay. Yes. And so the, then did you kind of work around in EMAP? Or? Yeah, I was in EMAP for a, I was in EMAP for a good few years. I, um, I was at Smash Hits for about, I think I was at Smash Hits for couple of years or four years I was at I was at, I was at smash it for a little while you know Mark Frith was the editor when I got there Gavin Reeve was the art director uh, and um, there were brilliant funny writers there like Mark Sutherland Pete Stanton people like that Lisa Daniels and it was a really clever very clever magazine crowd they understood the voice of the magazine they understood what smash it's did and didn't do and and you know even though the output was pure pop you know, they, they, they were brilliant people to work with, you know, but I, I kind of had a hunger to sort of go a little bit more kind of more fashion-y and stuff. So when the opportunity to work at Sky Magazine, you know, a magazine that I'd loved since I was a, an A-level student, when that came up, uh, I was over the moon and I started there and that was an extend, you know, extenuation of that sort of like college spirit and going out and fun and games, you know, and all these magazines were staffed by people, you know, in their early and mid-twenties. Yeah. And, you know, in some ways that was brilliant because you were just basically, it was just like partying, doing the work, fun ideas, plus rotten meetings, bad organisation and, you know, fights about this and that in a kind of like an unprofessional sort of way. Um, so, yeah, so I worked my way from, from Sky and then I left Sky or Sky left me, whichever way you see it. Um, and then I ended up doing, I ended up doing FHM Collections uh, every six months, um, you know, it was, that was their f- fashion spin-off, and so I would basically be like junior designer, middleweight designer, and art director, doing everything on that thing on my own. Um, every six months, and in amongst that time, I'd spend some time at L Magazine and Esquire Magazine, and all these other places, you know, magazines that I'd really admired, working with just the funnest, best people ever, you know. And so, how, how do you then end up in Condé Nast and, and getting into that whole world? Yeah, well, I'd, I was I was doing I was doing that for a while and kind of looking around, you know, enjoying freelancing. Um, but, you know, but, you know, freelancing is like OPP, like other people's pages. You know what I mean? And like after a while, it's like it's like a joy bypassing all of that, uh, all of that office politics and 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 that kind of long term underlying stress that magazines have. But, you know, I missed having something, you know, myself of when I wasn't doing collections. You know, obviously had, I had my own view on how would I've, I would have done something myself. But, yeah, I was learning from all these brilliant people. Sometimes stuff, oh, my God, I will never do that myself. And sometimes I was like, I've never thought of that way of doing things before. And, you know, even though I'd been, I'd been art director of Sky magazine and I was, like, 27 years old or whatever, way too young, really, in retrospect. And I just wasn't mature enough as a person and as a designer much as I kind of bluffed it out so going back and learning and working with other art directors and people who are you know super cool um I I got got this extra experience and then when a um, chap called Pedro Silman had had left L magazine in Germany and ended up at Tatler and I kind of wandered in somebody said oh you should go and see Pedro or whatever he'll like your work and I popped in and and literally while I was in the the reception at um, a Vogue house 
hang on thinking about it, it didn't even get me up to the office I only ended up sitting down <laughs> with my portfolio um, that those days but still wasn't digital you know it was it was it was um, you know it was tears from the magazine I sat down in the in the reception and um, he kind of poured over my work and asked me a few questions and he was like are you looking for freelance or would you like a full-time job and I was like hmm I'd like a full-time job and then that was it that I was in working at Tatler and um, it was craziness you know talk about my time at like smash hits so like being an initial and odd fit you know Tatler was so fun but I tell you what it was crazy I spent two weeks being like you know that classic magazine thing of being like I'm not I can't turn up tomorrow this is too crazy it's doing my head in I can't what, what how have I ended up here you know and we always joked that there were NTTPs non tatler type people like there had to be some in the magazine to stop it being too inbred (laughs) (laughs) Um, don't get me wrong they were lovely people but you know I I, you know when I would say I I, I was I was riding in Wales at the weekend I wasn't riding a horse I was riding my mountain bike you know what I mean so um, it was just a very different time but but you know six months of doing it for my CV and that I then turned into a year and then a year I was like okay I think I got this um, but you know I was working with people like Izzy Blow and people like that and you know and Geordie and you know Vassy and, and John Graham some real like you know proper great old school magazine people and journalists and um, and so it was, a, it was a fun time there but then I moved downstairs two floors to GQ um and I was more de- like your sort of people is that a bit, a bit of a closer <laughs> yeah, fit yeah it, it was a closer fit in a lot of ways especially as a you know an unmarried young-ish man on a men's magazine like that is a, is a really good fit and I think I often ponder on this like you know do you have to be you know will you do your best work at a magazine where you find yourself a, you know, like a cultural and lifestyle fit um I don't know. In some ways, I fit, really fitted into the GQ lifestyle. I was, you know, I was into riding my bike. I was into fashion. I was into design. You know, I was into culture. I, I, I don't know whether I shared some of the kind of political views or the views, uh, you know, about how women are portrayed in magazines and, you know, things, the obvious stuff. I don't know whether that was 100, 100% me. But, you know, GQ was a fun place and there's some clever people there. And, um, you know, I, I feel like it's... It, it wouldn't want to be portrayed as alpha male but I think it can't help but be like that you know everybody values their opinions and it was at that time it was you know making your voice heard and doing clever work and you know a bit kind of a bit of a pissing contest you know and in some ways that's a that's a um a benefit for a magazine you know like people are up in their game and they want to have exclusives and they want to do great design work and stuff like this and it was a fun place you know it, fun fr- fr- frustrating and, and fun at the same time um but about that time I was already starting to do special projects for Dylan and Albert who's now the uh, managing director Um, and you know we were working on this was a time when people were still thinking about you know launching magazines and magazine projects and you know the recession was starting to kick in but I would be working on all of these separate things you know in the evenings and sometimes out of the GQ office and I was I guess kind of like a little bit of a design sort of gun for hire or or you know somebody who would foolishly entertain this extra work and um 
I think I was working on something kind of hard for Dylan and he at the time said oh you know I know this is a lot of work but you know it's you know it doesn't go unnoticed in the company and people can see what you can do and it ended up working out well for me you know when when they were recruiting for somebody to launch Wired in the UK I was already a massive Wired magazine fan because we'd get the US editions and Scott Daddick was the art director at that time and he had a brilliant team and it was it was it was it was the you know I don't know I don't follow football but I'd imagine you'd say something like they were like the Chelsea or the Man United or Man City or whoever depending on which period you're from (laughs) of magazines it was literally shit hot design like amazing photography use of space detailing clever conceptually and, and when I heard the opportunity come, came to, to, to do one in the UK and they were going to launch it, I straight away fired off an email to Albert saying, oh, I'd love to be part of this. I think this is my magazine. And it ended up being my magazine. And that was um, about 10 years ago that they were recruiting for that. And I kind of wandered around with my wife, at the t- uh, my wife-to-be at the time. And we were walking somewhere. And I was like, I, I just can't think of anybody else who could do this better than I could like and I don't think I I don't think I I hope I wasn't like being um uh too proud about the whole thing or arrogant I just really thought you know I loved Wired and and, and I knew the culture of Wired before I started on the thing um and so yeah so I ended up starting on that uh, about you know almost 10 years ago and so I mean there's obviously been huge changes since you started then but, it, but in a way I guess the bigger change is back from those days when you were sitting in the library and the magazine was this like, it was the way that you kept up with the world and this, you know, the thing that people talk about so much in terms of it was how you knew what was going on in London and the world outside of your little place. Magazines don't fulfill that function anymore. So, So as a magazine maker now, what are you fundamentally trying to do with the magazine? That's a really great question, <laughs> and it's some and it's a complicated question. I think we more now are we investigate stories, and we tell stories that people don't have easy access to, and we are curators of content, and that's what magazines have always been. But I think in a time when you can find out sort of news and snippety information, and you can find out about music and stuff in a very short form way online that people will go to magazine brands for excellence in storytelling in credibility and in being those people who can bring the stories back to you that are told in like the highest possible production values so with great photography with clever illustration with brilliant writing and storytelling that's always happened but it's it's now the thing that we hang on to as something that's special about us rather than throwing out random information and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I think so. You'll have to tell me whether I'm wrong. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I wouldn't dare to do that. <laughs> I, I guess that there as well, so you're talking about making a magazine with all the resources of Condé Nast behind you or whoever the publisher was yeah. at the time. But then you also went off and made a magazine with zero resources just for yourself because you wanted to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's... Yeah, I was obviously doing the GQ thing and, and it was going along rather nicely and, and you know, GQ's a fun place to be, you know, like literally one week I'll be I'll be racing in a powerboat race 
never even sat in a powerboat before. The next week, you'd be test driving a sports car. The next week, you'll be working on a fashion shoot. It literally was, you know, the great thing about GQ is like you are living a life. That's why, you know, not a lot of people leave the magazine. It's a great place to be. So I was embedded in there. I was doing my work. Um, but, but, but I've had a, a long, a long, um, a long love of riding my bike and, and, and bikes in general that started, you know, mountain biking in 1988 um, uh, with my brother. And um, we've, you know, over time we've been riding our mountain bikes and then we got a, like a fixed gear, uh, single speed road bike and then we got like a, a cyclocross bike and then we got fixed gear bike, track bike and then we got, oh, you know, whatever. We got all these different kind of bikes and we love riding, all kinds of riding. And so, you know, while we were away on a bike trip years ago, we were like, ah. Oh, one of our friends were like wouldn't it be like cool to do like a, a magazine that's like kind of like you know surface path or something like that you know like a kind of like a soul of the sport sort of um bike magazine that just told these stories and was super cool like uncommercial it wasn't telling you what to bike to buy or whatever you know like a commercial bike magazine has to to exist it was just like cool stories about bikes and riding and um this this chap i i was riding with at the time um chap called steve makin he he's he's actually out riding in in new zealand at the moment he's killing me on instagram with pictures anyway he had this like really lo-fi have you seen this thing before he had this i picked up this like fanzine thing of like photos and stuff of our friends who have been riding or whatever and it was like this really like photocopy thing with a few words but mainly pictures and and then people recognize themselves on rides that they've been on and these trips and stuff like this and i saw and i saw one of one of these copies i didn't actually get one but i saw him handing it out and something really sort of resonated with me because i was like um isn't having that thing that physical tactile magazine thing whether it's a fanzine or whatever having that thing in your hand that takes you to that place that that feeds that enthusiasm you've got whether it's electronic music or 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 left field fashion or you know um that thing that you can retreat to that 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 you know like people might find you know i i guess now on you know it's like a a film familiar place on spotify or or on on um netflix or whatever where you can be like you know i love long distance running i'll find the long distance running program and i'll immerse myself in that and then i'll watch a thing on you know hiking or whatever um you know but you know it's interesting because i don't think that netflix and spotify do like fulfill that no it's hard really isn't it and and i think that there's something that is particularly um well suited to print in terms of encapsulating these passions yes. and, and then producing a physical thing yes. that you can, like you saw your friend do, pass to somebody else and say, this is what I'm into. This it is, is really, you're right. It is really hard. Like, you know, you will try and seek something out like a short film or music if you're in a different style of music. But magazines have always served niches really well. And whenever you've got a niche, if you dig hard enough, there'll be a niche of a niche and and it, you know, you disappear down a hole and you will hopefully find um, something that really speaks to your passion. That's why, that's why, you know, for a long time, you know, the big publishers were making money off of, you know, steam train monthly and you know cat fancier and you know we'd always laugh when the emap awards had come up and these magazines that we'd never heard of they're making a ton of money for the company because they were fed people's particular sort of enthusiasm anyway so i saw this kind of like printed ephemeral thing and it kind of 
with this conversation about, you know, we should maybe do something that was about bikes, started it off and there were four of us started having this conversation. And then sort of over time it became, you know, three of us and then over time you know everyone has work to do it became my brother and I like the biggest idiots of all <laughs> and um, and and just because you know independent magazines like you know they are like a time drain and, and 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 when you're really tired and you get home and you've got to turn your machine on and you've got to start working or you've got to start answering emails it whittles people down over time and 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 my brother is like really he's like I always like think of him like a pit bull with a child's arm like he just won't ever let go he's like he's like angry with himself but he can't let it go like uh, uh, so you know he was the editor and I ended up you know doing the art direction and design and um, and so the two of us soldiered on you know with help from other people getting the idea running but it ended up being us taking it on and we t- we made this this magazine that lasted you know we stopped right now at 10 issues and it took us like almost 10 years um, and you know we started off doing what we did the first one and we thought we'd print a thousand of it or whatever and then it just sold out just straight away and we were so stupid and then we were like printed like another thousand we were like that cost us the same amount of money it would have cost us like a third of that if we'd have just run on anyway we didn't really understand that sort of thing and i and i was really learning as well you know we've spoken in the past about the idea of having i had we have very high you know production values at conde nast and we have a, a a production department and a repro house and out of out of office retouching and we see proofs and we approve paper proofs and and the ride journal was completely opposite to that it was literally like do a pdf check it oh it looks a bit weird do another pdf check it oh god there's a typo do another pdf send it to the printers and then cross your fingers until it turns up you know three weeks later yeah yeah so you you obviously don't have this creative outlet in your life at the moment you're, you're not making the mag have you filled it with something else or are you, are you just happy having a bit more time in your life <laughs> um, well yes to kind of like both of those things i've done a couple of books for thames and hudson one with a photographer, an amazing photographer called Michael Bland, who'd, who's worked with Publishing the Ride Journal, who does these epic mountainscapes um, of the the European climbs, cycling climbs, which is absolutely brilliant. I did, I did his book, and then I've just done a book with a chap called Josh Cunningham, who'd who'd done a book about long distance bike riding. That's just about to be out now. So I've kind of done, I had a little couple of little books sort of going in the background, which is fun and kind of scratched that itch. Um, but I've, I, I think because the work that I've been doing at Wired has been so much more varied and busy and there's been a lot of changes in staffing. And, you know, I've not really had the time or the headspace to push myself back in something else. So having a little bit of a gap has been, you know, a bit of a joy. Yeah, yeah, well... I hope that uh, we see something coming out of your spare time at at some point in the future. But, um, Andrew, thank you for talking. No, my pleasure. Thank you. Okay, that's all for this week. I would just like to say that I also know Philip, Andrew's brother, and I would never have thought of describing him as a pit bull with a child's arm. Maybe that's just the sort of thing that it's okay for brothers to say about each other. Uh, I really appreciate Andrew taking the time to sit down and talk with me. As I said, our on-stage conversation will be available very soon. So if you'd like to hear him speaking more about the work he does these days, head over to YouTube and search for Edge Foundation. That's E-D-C-H Foundation. 
Or, of course, if you prefer to get your magazine chat in podcast formats, search for Stack Magazines on SoundCloud or iTunes and you'll find tons of other conversations with people making magazines. And if you follow us while you're there, we'll be able to deliver next week's episode to you as soon as it's ready. Thank you very much for listening and we'll be back with another episode next week. Thank <laughs> you.